Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Yes, it's time for another episode of Talking Shop, the podcast all about Photoshop. I'm Dave Cross. In this episode, episode 20, I'll introduce you to a concept I like to call Photoshop photography. No, you didn't mishear me. I did say Photoshop photography. It's like a combination of Photoshop and photography. And the way this this term came up was quite a few years ago, I was teaching at Photoshop World and I was sitting in the instructor room and looked around this table and there were all these pretty famous photographers, people like Joe McNally, Vincent Versace, Moose Peterson, Jay Maisel. I mean, a pretty intimidating group, especially when one of them says, hey, Dave, show us some of your images. And I'm like, I don't think so. Uh, it was, yeah, I don't think I would. I mean, I did ultimately show them a few of my images, but it was pretty clear right from the get-go that most of the images I showed them were ones that I had created in Photoshop using my photography. So that led to a bit of a discussion of the pros and cons of or or the role of Photoshop. And it was pretty clear from this group of people, understandably, given their background, that most of them didn't use Photoshop at all or very little to maybe tweak the results just a little bit. But most of them were definitely from the camp of get it right in the camera. So I threw into that discussion, well, I completely agree with what you're saying, that you want to have it as right as you can, but I also often have the goal of making it look great for Photoshop. And I said that, and there was kind of like this silence around the tables. They all kind of had that look like, say what now? So then I said, I guess I'm just a Photoshop photographer. Again, met with looks of say what? So I went on to describe what I meant as that sometimes if I know that I'm going to be creating, for example, a composite image, then I'll take the photograph of the background with that in mind, thinking of angles and things like that. And I'll talk about that more in a second. Or another way to think of it is I, I'm taking the photograph thinking, okay, this would be the background layer. And then this element or subject would be layer one. And I'm sort of almost picturing the layers panel structure in my head as I'm taking the shots. Now, obviously you can't do that all the time if you don't know the the actual shot you're trying to get. But as we'll talk about in a second, part of this comes from when you have the opportunity to take some photographs, think about Photoshop and the role these photos you're taking could play in that software. So here's some examples. The first one is if you're taking a group shot, whether it's a, a wedding portrait of the whole wedding party or a group of people, set up your tripod and before the people even get in the photo, take a photo or two of just the background, the background that will eventually be behind the people. So now you have that clean shot, then you take all the portraits that you need, not changing anything about the tripod. Now, if down the road someone says, hey, we need you to remove this person from the photo or you need to do a, a head swap or something like that, you've got clean pixel information you can use to help you. Part of the issue I'm sure you've encountered is when someone says to you, someone, let's just call them the general public, says, take this person out. In their mind, it's an easy thing to do in Photoshop. But of course, we know you can't really take someone out of the background. You have to cover them up to make them look like they were never there. 
So that's a lot easier to do if you have actual pixels of the background and aren't relying on Photoshop to, for example, content-aware fill. I mean, don't get me wrong, content-aware fill can be great, but if you have the actual real pixel information, why wouldn't you use that? So that's just one example of kind of thinking ahead to work in Photoshop. Another example is talked about a moment ago is the whole idea of compositing. So I lead some photo walks now and then. And a while back, I remember we were walking around in a cool area of Tampa and someone saw this alleyway with a really interesting brick wall and the way the light was coming in was pretty interesting. So they took one or two photos and then walked away. And I was like, well, hold on a second. That, what, is that all you're going to do? And they kind of looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, well, do you have a subject in mind for that composite? And they said, not really. I just thought it'd be a cool background. So I'm like, well, then while you're here, why not take a bunch more shots, varying a bunch of factors. For example, the height of your camera, go up head height and then lower down and crouch even further down and then switch this angle so you're looking down the brick wall instead of straight at it because the worst feeling in the world is at some point to be building a composite and think, oh, I've got this photo of a brick wall. And then you open it and the angle isn't quite right. And it's much harder to match up an angle faking it in Photoshop than if you could just look through a collection of five or six or 10 different angles of that same brick wall. I mean, think about it. Storage is cheap. SD cards now you can fit so many images on it. Why wouldn't you take 10 or 12 images instead of a handful just in case because it's going to give you more options. Now, one idea I came up with quite a while ago, one of the challenges when you're trying to take a photograph of a background and then later on take a photograph of a subject is matching the scale properly. So it occurred to me that I should have something I could put in both photographs to help me with the compositing side later on. So I'd been driving around, I'd seen those orange safety cones and I thought, well, something like that would work, except it's kind of inconvenient. And I did a bit of a search. I just happened to find the fact that there are collapsible safety cones. So it's like this little square, but when you pull it out, it, it expands into a orange safety cone. So what I did an experiment, I next time I was shooting a background, I set my camera on the tripod. I took one photograph with the safety cone in it, in the approximate position where I thought a person would probably stand. And then I removed it and took a second shot. And then weeks later, actually days later in this case, in the studio, I took some full length photos of my subject with the same safety cone. So then when I dragged that photograph of the subject into the photograph of the background with the safety cone, it was so much easier to match the scale and angles, in fact, because I had that frame of reference instead of me guessing. So just as a side note, I was teaching a compositing class a few years ago and my daughter was there and she's uh, knowledgeable about Photoshop and she was actually the model and we had dragged her into the background and then we sat there. This was before the safety cone thing, by the way. Uh, I dragged her in the background and as I went to resize her, we basically debated for about five minutes who was correct in terms of what the appropriate height was because we didn't have any frame of reference. So if, if you think that's an idea that could help you, just go into Amazon and just look for collapsible safety cone 
and you'll find that it's very portable, very easy to take on a photo shoot, and it just opens up some possibilities. You just have to remember, take one photo with the safety cone in, don't change anything with your camera, and then take another one with it out. And then it's much easier to do that composite. And just one last note about this, there's even an added bonus about the fact that the safety cone is this bright orange color. I had taken a a photograph during my testing of this pier after a bit of a rainstorm. So little tiny puddles on the pier. So I took my one photo with the orange cone and then one without. And then later on, when I went to composite my subject, I was using that safety cone idea to match up the scale. And all of a sudden I looked really close and I realized there were little tiny reflections of the orange safety cone in those puddles. And honestly, if I hadn't seen that, I don't know that I would have remembered, oh, I need to make sure I have a reflection of my subject in those little tiny puddles because that's what was actually happening in real life. So the combination of the safety cone has been a real blessing for me. It's been a, a huge time saver from a creativity standpoint and a production standpoint because I can try shooting different angles and distances and everything else of the background knowing it's going to be much easier to composite in my subject. Well, you probably can guess what's going to happen next if you've listened to the podcast before. I'm going to continue my discussion about Photoshop photography. But first... It's time for the tip of the week. This week's tip involves adding guides in Photoshop. If you need to add a bunch of guides, almost like a grid, for example, rather than manually adding them one at a time by dragging from the rulers, go to the view menu and choose new guide layout. And you'll see there's a dialog box that lets you choose how many columns and rows, and you can add margins and have gutters between the, the rows and columns, all kinds of things. And most importantly, there's a preview button. So you can sit, look at the preview and make sure you're doing it the way you want. And if it's something you do often, you can even save a preset and load them automatically. With short tutorials, in-depth multi-lesson courses, and live Q&A sessions, learningphotoshop.cc provides the Photoshop training you need to succeed. Continuing our discussion of Photoshop photography. And by the way, if you like the idea of Photoshop photography, you can say you're a Photoshop photographer. Probably don't want to put that in your business card because I would just confuse people. Anyway, so another idea is Photoshop, of course, has the ability to use patterns. And it, while it comes with patterns built in, you can also make your own. So here's another idea. If you're walking around anywhere, an office building, outside your home, anywhere, and you see something you think that could actually be an interesting pattern, just grab a photograph of it. And then in Photoshop, it can be made into a pattern. Now, it can take a bit of effort to make a repeating pattern that's seamless, but it is certainly possible. And I'll talk about an alternative way to do this in a moment after I also talk about the fact that one of my favorite parts of Photoshop from a finishing touch adding something standpoint is the fact that we can make our own brushes. So anything can be made into a brush in Photoshop. So if you're walking around and you see an old sign or some old fashioned writing or something else, that could easily be made into a brush that can then be added simply by clicking once with your brush tool. It makes a really nice added 
touch to a photograph. Now for both of these things, one of the greatest things that's available from Adobe for free is called Adobe Capture. It's an app for your smartphone. And when you capture a photograph, there are all these different things you can do, including have it automatically define a brush. You don't have to even do any work in Photoshop. It just gets added to your library. You can also capture patterns and even color schemes. So if you have a see something that has some really cool looking color scheme, you can point your camera at it. It picks up and creates swatches you can then use in Photoshop as well. So that's a nice added bonus. But again, you can do it with your camera as well. Just capture something you think would be interesting. Another thing that I do with images all the time in Photoshop is I add a new layer with some photograph that I've taken and I overlay it using either blending modes and or things like the blend if sliders or masking or anything like that. So I'm a sucker for textures. When I'm walking around and I see metallic texture and cracked stone and all kinds of other things, I have a huge collection of these textures that I use thinking ahead to where in Photoshop I will add them in and then again play with things like blend modes and opacity etc just to add a nice overlay. My suggestion here is once you do that once or twice with a texture then you'll get a better sense of what texture works well. So for example a very vibrant red brick wall texture would probably not work as well as weathered gray bricks with a little bit of color or something like that because when there's already a vibrant color in them sometimes when you start to blend them in the results are just a little bit too much so it's almost better to look for things that are a little more on the neutral side. I always shoot in raw one of the things I like to do is bring that texture layer in keeping it as a camera raw smart object so even after I have changed blend modes and and opacity and the blend if sliders and things like that, I can still jump back to camera raw to tweak the settings or even remove some of the color to see if that gives me a better result. Now along the same lines, but a little bit different is thinking of backgrounds. So for example, let's say you're a wedding photographer and you're shooting details. If you think ahead to a page in a wedding album, you might realize that it's going to look much better if you have, for example, a close-up of the lace in the wedding dress or a close-up of the petals in the flowers or something like that. Not that you're going to use that as a standalone photograph, but you're thinking that I'm going to put other photographs on top of this, but rather than just having a plain background, it would be nice to have some kind of a background that's recognizable but subtle. So a simple idea like that is to take the wedding dress and spread it out and take a series of photos, again, different angles, closer, further away, things like that. Then it's very simple in Photoshop to bring that in first and then use that as your background. Now, of course, if you're using some other application like InDesign, the same theory still applies where you would still have the background image that you have shot with that in mind. Hopefully that's given you a few ideas of ways to change your photography just a little bit. You can still do all the things you normally do, but let's go back to the example of going on a photo walk. Now, the next time you're doing that, instead of simply thinking of, oh, that would make a nice standalone photograph, think Photoshop and think layers and think where, look at things a little differently and see if you can picture some things in your head that you could use as a background for compositing or as something to overlay on top or as a brush or a pattern. I think once you start doing that, you're just building up more opportunities 
opportunities for yourself when it comes to building things that you like in Photoshop. One of my favorite projects ever, where I had this idea of kind of a, a fantasy shot. So first I worked with a model who was going to be this angel. So I had her pose in ways that I thought would make sense, including, for example, she was going to be suspended in the air because, well, she was an angel. So I realized having her stand on the background really wasn't going to give me that opportunity. So once I had the poses the way I liked, I had her sit on a table dangling her legs and the way her legs naturally and her feet naturally hung made a much better look that I composited into the final image. I also knew she had to have wings and I wasn't about to build any. So a friend of mine lent me very small Halloween prop type wings that honestly didn't look all that great, but I photographed them and some of the feathers that had fallen off in transportation and was able to build something that looked pretty cool and, well, I was going to say realistic, but as realistic as it could be for that situation. And then weeks later, I worked with another model, a male model who was going to be like this. He was a, a bodybuilder. So I knew in my head that the angel was going to be up in the sky. So I did different poses with him the same pose basically, but looking up at different angles because I didn't know exactly where she was going to be. I'm gesturing here as if you can see my hand showing up in the sky. <laughs> but that's another example of that planning ahead as I knew what I had in mind. So I just made sure when I was working with that model, I had him look at different angles with a pose again was pretty much the same, but the angle of what he was looking at was different. And sure enough, it made it so much easier to composite it all together. And then the final piece of the puzzle was the background. And I was, could not for the life of me think of a background that would work. And then one day I was walking around in my neighborhood with my wife and just happened to look at this area and thought, hmm, at the right angle, I can make sure I don't get that traffic sign or whatever in the shot and tried two or three different angles. I went and stood in there so I could figure out the angle better because I didn't have my safety cone with me. So it all made life a whole lot easier than trying to make things work and kind of forcing the issue. So hopefully you'll see the benefit in when you're working on certain projects to start thinking from a Photoshop photography standpoint. Thank you so much for listening. As I always say, if you can do me the favor of leaving a review and sharing this with your Photoshop using friends, I would so much appreciate it. I'm Dave Cross. We'll see you next week. Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. Find us at TalkingShop.show. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.